Welcome to the Going Together podcast, a show for inspiring conversation and practical steps to help your church become the church where all generations thrive. I'm your host, Justin Koo, and today my guest is Jake Mulder. He's a director of strategic initiatives at Fuller Youth Institute and the co-author of the book, Growing Young. Jake works with Fuller to bring about new research and resources for intergenerational ministry. So I'm curious, as you're traveling around the world talking about, you know, the state of the church and why young people don't like the church very much and all these different things, I'm wondering if people ever really like come at you with, you know, with words to say because, you know, you're, you're tearing yep. down my church. Yep, very much. So it's a great question. And I think on the one hand, uh, I'm actually surprised how little pushback that we get for the message that we share. Now, part of that is we're, we're trying to frame this in the positive. So the book is called Growing Young. We talk about this as growing together. So it's more about the opportunity and hope of what we can pursue. Yeah, versus, it's not called the know, sky is falling. <laughs> yeah, or like your church is terrible and everything needs to change. That was not, you know, the, the, the publishers didn't think that was the uh, ideal title for the book. Now, that being said, I am surprised how little pushback we get. The pushback that we do receive is people who think, oh, if this is called growing young, this is just about young people, which means an older generation is being left out. Mm. I will say over and over and over, that is not what we mean. No. We're actually talking about why we need an older generation to invest. Mm. Like that's <laughs> that's the invitation of this whole thing. Uh, but I think that the data is incredibly clear on what's wrong. Mm. You almost don't need the data. Now, again, right. I think you do need the data. The data is important. But I think it's just this is often so in our faces mm -hmm. of we just have to look around in many of our churches to realize there's not young people as there were. Yeah. For many of us who are parents or grandparents, we'll often get people who come up to us after we've we've given a, given a talk or an address on something. And it's, it's the amount of personal or internal pain that they're feeling about their own child or a kid that they had in Sabbath school isn't, or Pathfinders, isn't walking with the faith anymore like they hope. Mm -hmm. so, so I truly am surprised how little pushback uh, we get from all of it. Wow. When we, I, I'll say this. When we get into the reasons why, I think that's where there's some complexity, and that's why we try and approach this as a research organization. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm I'm on the younger side of life, and I look younger than I actually am. Uh, I guess that's why I'm trying to grow out the beard here. So <laughs> you do look good. Little, you do look good. A, a little bit older, but when we can come in and say we we've actually done some of the widest, most robust research mm. with more partners than anyone has really ever done, at least in recent history on this topic. This, you know, with all humility, is one of the gold standards on what's wrong and how to respond. I'm not just a 30-something-year-old who thought, oh, yeah, this would be a great book. I'll write up some of my thoughts, right? Like, we've really done our homework. And for most people, that's been convincing. That doesn't mean everyone actually sees it through and carries through to, like, what needs to happen. But the problem defining the problem, it's been kind of like saying smoking is bad for you. Um, there are people who are starving and in poverty who shouldn't be like some of these things. Young people should be in the church, right? Like the, yeah, those yeah. things have just been widely agreed. Yeah, on. I don't think that very many people walk into their church on the weekend and are like, man, we just have too many kids here, too many young people. This is a horrible thing. I think I think yep. most people... It's 
can quite rare. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Now, I, I've had the opportunity to sit through your your presentations a handful of time, uh, and I really yep. do consider it an opportunity. <laughs> it no, is thanks. work, but it is also an opportunity. I'm very grateful for it. Um, and one of the things that I know that you do very well is you're not only just defining reality, you're not only saying that, well, this is what the data says, but you're also, you have a vision for the future. At least you're inviting yep. us to dream with you as to what the future could look like. And, and so I'm curious yep. if uh, you, can, you can, I guess you can go at it two ways. One, what is, what is your vision for the future to the church? And two, what are you yep. seeing as what, what many people are, are wishing for and hoping for? Yeah, I think that's great. So we often will talk about this in in story form because we are just a people who think in stories and we are shaped by stories. Many of us who, if we've been uh, at home in, in the season that either is or was COVID-19, depending on when you're watching this video and, and what has happened in the past, uh, I think many of us are aware of how shaped we are by stories because we're just, whether that's watching more TV or reading more books or whatever that is in this season, um, another way that we talk about it is just needing a vivid description for the future. Mm. And I think most of us default to, I think most of us walk around with a very simple, often um, implicit understanding in our head. Even if we couldn't articulate it, we, we, we just have this sense of what we want things to be like. And we just naturally will drift towards uh, whether that's the version of us that we want to be, what we want our relationships or marriage or friendships to be like, um, what we want our church to be like. So yeah, we really try and surface that and call that out in this work. And oh, so many different ways to come about this. One, uh, we like to lean into uh, one of my colleagues at Fuller Seminary, Dr. Scott Cormode, talks about vision as a shared story of future hope. Okay, a shared story of future hope. The, the parts that are important about that, first of all, it's shared. Mm -hmm. So it's not just any one person saying, this is my picture, but it's actually about like, what's the Holy Spirit doing among our community and how do we discern what different people are seeing? It's in story form. Uh, the reason I think that's important, I have rarely seen bullet points be convincing to someone when it comes to life change, right? And often we'll be like, we want our church to be this, be this, be this. And that's fine in terms of bullet points. The moment that you can actually go into story form, I think it's more compelling. The last is that it's a future hope. Mm -hmm. So if we're, if we're people of the resurrection, if we are Christians and truly believe that God is God and does what God can do, we have great reason to hope about the future. Mm -hmm. So putting again together that it's shared, it's a story, it's future hope. I didn't answer your other question about what it might look like, but I'll pause in case well, you want to dig into any of th that. Thank you, because because you're talking about shared story, and so I'm assuming that for you, there's a story that you have in mind, right? What does the future yeah. look like? Yeah. What's the story that jumps to your mind? Yeah, so for me, and I think this is true for all of us, it's difficult just to picture like, what should this nameless, faceless church be like? Like, oh, I wonder what the church or a church should be like. And, and the church is people. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the best ways we can all access this is through people who we know and we care about. Mm -hmm. So when I think about what I want the church to be, I have a five-year-old and two-year-old, two, two sons who are ages five and two. Mm -hmm. When I think about what I want the church to be and what it can be, I don't just think of like this building and hopefully it's still around. I picture my kids 20 years from now, so being age 25 and 22, that they're in community, 
that they've got relationships with their peers and with other adults who ground them. Um, one of the things that we talk about in Growing Young is that, that faith should shape our identity, our belonging, and our purpose. Mm. So when it comes to identity, that we know who we are. And for my sons, I would want their participation in church to shape that they know who they are, the core of their identity. That belonging, um, they know who they fit with. They know who their community is purpose that they don't just move forward of like, oh, I'll get a job that'll make me a lot of money or that'll make me really happy. Like, I want them to see that they're part of something much larger that God is doing in the world. So I then back up from there and think, what's the set of relationships that they're going to need? What are the concepts that they're going to need to be taught? Who's going to need to invest in them? What are the experiences that they're going to need? that opens up my perspective in a whole different way of what I want the church to be or what I hope the church will be. And I think a powerful exercise for churches, if you've got some two-year-olds, five-year-olds, eight-year-olds, or if you don't think about some in your family or neighbors who you care about and just ask, all right, 10, 20 years from now, what do we hope their life is like? What do we hope they're thinking about doing And what's the sort of church that will shape that? Because when we ask that question, it's what's the sort of community set of relationships that we need to do that work? So something along those lines. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I'm wondering if how hard is it for for people to put themselves in the other's shoes? I think it's it it comes naturally. Clearly, it comes naturally to you as a father to think about your your boys as someone who doesn't have children, as I mentioned in the previous episode. Totally. Like, that's not my immediate thoughts. Like, I can I can empathize. With, oh, okay, yeah, I can totally. see why that would be where you think and vision of the future. But for me, that's not it. And I'm wondering, yeah. like, if there's other, maybe it's just single, uh, you know, or not single, um, parents with, or not parents, <laughs> couples without children who, who struggle to, totally. to, to envision it in that way. But... Totally. But I'm guessing that's probably not the case, that, that there, there's just generational differences, that it's, it's difficult to put ourselves in the, the place of the other person. Yeah, it's very difficult to put yourself in the place of the other person. So I agree with that. And I have seen such power hmm. if we can get kind of an intergenerational, cross-generational group of people together. So this goes back to shared. This is where I think there's right. actually po- power in doing this in community. So it's not just asking like, okay, let's say I was the pastor of your church, right? It's not just saying like, Jake, what do you think should happen for your kids and let's build the whole church around that? Right. I, I think the power comes in, if, you, if you've got a church, get eight people together who are very different. Let, let two of those eight be parents. Let mm. a couple of those be um, in their 70s. Let a couple of those be people who are either single or don't have kids in their 20s and 30s present to them the question of what do you what do you hope the future of this church looks like who do you care about Mm. that informs what you want this church to look like because what's often going to happen right i'm a parent i'm going to default to the perspective of my kids right um if you're in your 20s or 30s you're likely going to think about either your peers Mm -hmm. (laughs) or you're thinking about and, and this is fine yourself how you actually see yourself shaping or being a part of this church we did this exercise with a group of people and there was someone who is in their 70s and we asked them, what do you want the church to look like 20 years from now? And their initial response is, well, I think I'll be dead. <laughs> Which is like, 
whoops. You know, can be really, but, but here, here's where this person went with it. He said, um, he didn't just leave it as, well, I'll be dead, so I don't care. He said, you know what I want more than anything? A lot of my peers are starting to have funerals, right? Or people who are a bit older than me are having funerals. And he said, one of the things that I, I find depressing is how often many of these funerals are just people my age. And he said, when I die, what I want is I want people from every generation. I want it to be this celebration. I want it to be, you know, remembering the life and those that I invested in. Um, from people that I've talked to who are thinking about like end of life, that's a very compelling picture. So again, I think no matter what our perspective, if we can do this in community, if we can vision, dream, tap into what's natural within us and let that be whatever it needs to be, that's when I think powerful things start to happen. Yeah, that's really good. Um, you know the problem with your your definition of vision being a shared reality. If I if I could if I could be so bold to point out the problem with yeah, it, go for it, go for it. That's gonna take a lot of time to come up with a yeah. shared vision, like you described, getting eight people together from different backgrounds, different yep. generations, like that. I'm assuming that doesn't get finished in in a one hour meeting. Like that's that takes a long time. Yep, I'm working with a church right now. And um, we have a, a two-year kind of coaching relationship, and we're about a year and a half into it. And when I initially laid out the timeline, we had said over these two years, we're going to take about four months to make sure that we've got kind of the vision sorted out. And they said, "Oh no, no, we can we can shorten that piece. We'll do it. We'll do it in a month, right? Like we'll we'll do it really quickly." And I said, well, let's just see how that goes. <laughs> yeah, I'm imagining that you're not going to get success by telling them, no, we're going to do four months. But what did, what did I, they learn in the we, process? I told them we'd try a month. Um, after about 10 months, they ended up with the vision and picture that they wanted to end up with. Now, wow. they made that choice, not me, because here's what they did. They all got together as a team, mm -hmm. and they just talked about what, what do we hope our church is going to look like 5, 10, 20 years from now? That's where they started. They decided after that one meeting, let's all go write our own like one-page picture of what we hope for. Okay. They came back a couple weeks later. They all shared those ideas that they had come up with. It was a really energizing exercise. They loved it. And they loved it enough that they said, you know what? How about if each of us, like we're so inspired by this, what if we all go talk to a few people with our own story, we share our story, we get feedback. They realized that was such an energizing process <laughs> that they decided to do one more round of it. Now, we're already at like two and a half months, right, where it's extending out. They then all came back together. They had shared their visions with other people. They had their group meeting after two and a half months. There was such excitement, energy, and passion of what could be but now they actually needed to put that into something cohesive and comprehensive. Mm -hmm. So they gave the work to two people who did a first draft. And that took a few weeks of like, well, what if we put all these together? They came back and read that to the whole group. And again, they were so excited of like, what if this is possible? But they're like, but then that leaves out this. And what about this? And what about that? So they kept working through it. They got something they felt really good about. They then decided, well, we need to share that with our board, uh, right? Uh -huh. So they took it to the board. And the board's like, this is great. But what about... so? I, I think vision, it's something that never ends. It's an ongoing process. You get a group of Christians together who are truly attuned to Jesus, what the Spirit is doing, and ask the question, what, what does Jesus want to do in the midst of our community? How might Jesus want to use us to transform the world around us? Mm -hmm. I mean, 
those are powerful questions. And then you start to ask, and who could be part of that? Mm. Again, tapping into our biblical witness and the research, um, that's not about young people only, but young people have a sense of, you wanna look at the group who's gonna charge out first, who's gonna try things, often that's going to be young people. So having young people part of that process uh, who are already thinking about hope and possibility. So yeah, it it's long-term. Beautiful, I, I, I love that. You know, as as much as I was obviously, I was I was clearly making a joke saying that there's a problem here. Like Totally. That sounds like so much fun. It sounds like a, a great thing to be a part of. And I think that there's something, I, I, I would guess that, that, that being a part of that process actually helps you accomplish the very thing that you're envisioning. Uh, the very yep. fact that you have a, an intergenerational group of people coming together to dream together, that builds bonds in a way that nothing else could. What, that that even having the quote unquote better vision for the future yep. and having it handed down from on high from your your yep. church board or your pastor or fill in the blank, I think being a part of that journey like it excites me personally. Like I'm like man, that'd be so fun to be a part of. I think that that's going to that's going to endear me to the vision in a different way than had someone just told me this is the vision of our church. And that's where I mean often people will say, "Oh, growing young, like that's a book about youth ministry, right?" And we'll say, "Well, yeah, but it, it it's really about church leadership." Mm-hmm. And this is where I mean the hinge point on this, I think for many of us our vision of church leadership is Moses up on Mount Sinai meeting with God, right? Receives right. the 10 commandments, then comes back and tells everybody like here's what God told me. I'm right. Here you go. This is what you should do. For many of us, that's like our definition of Christian leadership. Hmm. As I survey the New Testament, as I look at, you know, how God was working through and in the early church, it was much more of a communal experience. I I could go into a theology of leadership for a long time, but I think what you're saying is right on that this idea of we're doing this in community, we're doing this together is absolutely essential. And that unlocks something that is already inherent in many of our uh, members of our church that we want to help create the things that we're going to end up being a part of and supporting. So, yeah. yeah, definitely. Beautiful. Casting a vision, asking yourself, asking your community, where do we want to be? Having that shared vision. Oh. I think that that's, that's a, a daunting task, but hearing you describe it makes me want to be a part of it. So yeah, I'm excited yeah. for the future. I'm excited for where things are going and what God is going to do. Jake, thank you for leading us through this process. Yeah, thanks.